today, we are going to be talking about firms scaling and what some of the interesting points as we've scaled the acuity that we've had to overcome. Also, we're going to talk about some cool tools that can actually work alongside of you with, while you're scaling. And we've got a great guest here to talk about all that. And again, this is what you can expect from Drink While You Think, the happy hour conversation amongst a couple of guys who are building their firm in really, really weird ways. Matthew, would you please tell us today who is our sponsor? The sponsor for Drink While You Think today is Keeper. Are you a bookkeeping owner? Are you thriving? Are you struggling? Well, Keeper is the one app you need to want run your bookkeeping practice. Keeper. Learn about that today on Drink While You Think. <laughs> Matthew, classic as always. Uh, my, always glad to have Matthew here, the sponsor caller, my co-host, but special today, the first guest we've had so far of the year. Our buddy Ben Stein is here. Ben, welcome, my man. Ben, tell everybody who you are, what you're up to, and then what you're drinking. Uh, well, thank you, Kenji. So I'm excited, super honored to join y'all here. Hopefully we can kick the year off right. Um, so I used to be uh, the CFO of a tech startup, and that's kind of where the roots of Keeper lie. And so I ran our month-end close. Uh, we were really small. I did our books. We got larger. I worked with an outsourced bookkeeping firm. And uh, Shocker, you don't have to spend a, a whole lot of time uh, in our world before you realize that uh, that that tech has not really kept pace with tech in, in maybe under other industries. Um, so, so we built Keeper basically to solve the problems that I had as a, as a CFO and to solve the problems that, uh, the bookkeeping firms that, uh, that we started working with had as, uh, as they ran more than just one close uh, a month. And really it's been just like this iterative two year now long journey of, uh, of working with firms, um, as they have scaled. So we've seen some of our like early customers have like doubled and tripled and quadrupled their client base, which has been really cool. Uh, but yeah, so honored to be on here. Thank yeah. you so much. Glad to have what you. What do you, what do you got? Yeah, what do you got that you're drinking today? So what I am drinking is not what you are drinking because <laughs> I am tragically uh, gluten intolerant. Uh, but so what I am drinking is a Prophecy Pinot Grigio 2021. It's a great year for grapes. Ooh, nice. <laughs> nice. Very nice. <laughs> that, was, that was. I can remember that year. Well, Matthew and I um, are not gluten intolerant and we are drinking Look what Ben. And the team at Keeper sent us. We are drinking Stein Gold. We are very excited about this Stein Gold from Frost Town Brewing. It is a cream ale, which is funny enough. I had a cream ale on our last episode, so back to back cream ales. Um, I'm pumped about this. Okay, I got to ask. I mean, did you just kind of find this like, hey, cool? It's got my name in it, um, so I'm going to use this. Or is there some connection here to to this beer, Ben? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, so this, I, I think this is a, it's a great name for a beer and it's a better story. Um, nice. So Frosttown is a brewery in Houston that is run by the son of a business partner of my dad's. Um, so my dad and uh, my dad and, and his dad are, are in business together and um, they've been in business together now, I think for close to a decade. Um, but I think the, the reason I like this beer so much is uh, is the message it tells, which is like relationships in business can go far beyond business. Mm. And uh, and so I think it's important to remember that at the end of the day, like company, like 
doing business and company building is at the end of the day, just working with people. And, uh, and there are relationships that can come out of that that last far beyond the nine to five. Absolutely. I was going to say, hey, cheers to that. This is, and by the way, cheers. Thanks for being on, Ben. Cheers, you guys. Um, I'm very, very much digging this right from the get-go. This is a solid, solid beer. Yeah, you haven't tried it yet. I saw you. I have not tried it yet. So this is, this is awesome. And for those um, that don't have the inside scoop, he sent us a full case, like 24. So we split it up 12 and 12 and Mine was gone and I had to get an extra from Kenji yesterday. We actually drove, we're 20 miles apart from each other. I drove, met up for lunch, and he brought me uh, the Stein Gold that I'm drinking because I have enjoyed it. Already consumed his. So I may have taken your sponsorship to the next level. It was great. I I think you have. And I think that's, um, I I like to kind of have that first sip right here on the show to give the authentic experience. And I'm going to say, even though we'll wait till the very end, as always, to rate the beer, this isn't going to, I feel like this is going to get a good solid one. Certainly because also, too, there's a cool story behind it, which we're always big fans of. Um, I, ben, before we move into other stuff, give us um, how long has Keeper been around? Where are you guys located? What's the team looking like these days? Yeah. So we launched two years ago, just under two years ago, February of 2021. Okay. Um, we have grown from then to now serve like close to a thousand accounting firms who do the books uh, for tens of thousands of clients a month, nice. uh, collectively, uh, so super cool growth opportunity. And so now the team is 13 people and the largest city that contains any one keeper employee is two. So that's Austin here with uh, me and my co-founder, Kenny, uh, who's actually I just off Kenny walking around in the background there a minute. Yep. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, and so that's, uh, so otherwise team is very distributed. I think that's been one of the unique benefits of, uh, COVID. I know this is hardly a unique take. Uh, but we actually, we wanted to build a business that was very local, like be the, the sort of contrarian, like everyone in the office, like got to work harder, butts and seats. And then our first ever employee uh, that we wanted to hire, just like the right candidate for the right role um, was uh, was Shana, who was at the time our customer success manager, is now our head of customer success. And she was so obviously a perfect fit for the role. And so obviously based in Brooklyn, New York and not wanting to move that, that kind of like <laughs> threw a wet blanket on our dreams of building a, um, a, a like Austin driven culture. But what I think we've gained from that is you can hire the best people all over the world. I mean, we have employees in Lagos, Nigeria. We have employees in, uh, in Montevideo, Uruguay. We have employees in Seoul, South Korea. So it's been a really cool, um, opportunity to go and hire the best wherever they are rather than feeling like we're constrained to 20 miles of our office space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, being constrained to 20 miles, those 20 miles is a pretty good spot. I'll say, I agree with you that looking a little broader certainly helps find the right talent, but I would, what would you say, Matthew? Um, we probably have in terms of, okay, Atlanta or Georgia is probably number one for us. Would you say in terms of, yeah, Georgia's number one, but Colorado's up there. Austin's up there probably. Colorado's number two. And then Austin, I think is, is, I think it's three. Um, I think it's three. Seems right. Our head of taxes there. We got, yeah, we have a number of. And it's the, and it's my my old home too. So really that's a special place in my heart. Austin. Austin, Yeah. 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 I'm actually curious from your perspective, because I don't know if we took the optimal, in fact, I know we didn't take the optimal approach here, but so as y'all have scaled from just a Georgia office to other states, 
did you go with the PEO model? Did you, are you like set up as an individual business in Austin or in Colorado and Texas in every state that you employ people? No, um, we, we, we kept it pretty simple. We did not go PEO. And initially we were doing more kind of contractors and things, but we just, um, we are still a Georgia LLC. LLC. LLC located located here in Georgia. We're, I mean, we're about to have our first other entity, which should be, hope we were just talking about it earlier, in about three months' time, we're, we're hoping to have our Philippines entity set up. But uh, that's it. Otherwise, we just rolled out no PEO. and um, We basically had, used yeah. PEOs in the international markets, both in St. Lucia and in the Philippines to get started. Uh, so, but Or that the international version of PEOs, but we never did the PO in, in, in the States. So yeah, are are you uh, Austin originally? Is that where you're from, Ben? Or uh, I was born and raised in Houston, um, and then actually when we set up the business, we were in Utah at the time. Um, okay. And so we moved to moved to Texas, so sort of a little bit of a homecoming for me. Yeah, cool. yeah. Is it? Um, yeah, my son was born in Houston. Really, oh, yeah. it's a good yeah. place yeah. My to my, kids. My son was born in Houston. My daughter's born in Austin. So you got it covered. So. Last time I was there, it was right before digital CPA, and I think before I saw you at QuickBooks Connect, uh, Ben. But um, I was there, Matthew was not, and I popped into Torchies and got lunch, and I took a picture of the queso and sent it to Matthew just to troll him, just to completely <laughs> like, I just drive him a little bit crazy. He just it was not out of love; it was just literally just trying to give him a hard Be time. Mean. I was being mean. I was being mean. So anyway, great, great town there. Um, So we're going to talk about scale a little bit here. I mean, y'all, was it you and Kenny just from the get-go, like just as two co-founders? And and Kenny, if I remember right, is more the technical side, your business side. And it sounds like that was kind of the get-go, but now you're up to 13 team members. What's changed for you guys the most as – as you've scaled, I mean, has, yeah, just, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about those two years, what you've seen change most. Yeah. So in, so when we, we launched Keeper in February of 21, um, and then until November, we didn't hire anyone. So it was just Kenny and I, and we like live together and, <laughs> uh, and like work out of our house. It's like very much like Kenny and I not leaving a room for like a year. Um, and, uh, and so we just like, we did everything. I, I like to, uh, I like to make the analogy of the like the the like Dutch boy and the that's like putting his fingers in the dam. So it's like <laughs> like just plugging all the holes. Um, and so we hired Shana, our uh, head of customer success, in November. Um, and then we hired our first engineer in January of twenty two. Um, and then I think at the time it still kind of felt like like almost like a school project vibe. Um, uh, like at the time we're still do- we were doing like six figures in revenue, but I kind of felt like. It was just like doing all these things, um, kind of like very much flying by the seat of our pants, which has not changed. Uh, but uh, but it it felt kind of like this school, like this almost like school project kind of vibe. Yeah. And then yeah. when Keeper really felt like a business to me was when we made our third hire. Uh, so we hired Rosalind, uh, who uh, anyone who's a Keeper customer who's written into support has uh, met with Rosalind. Um, she uh, she is uh, she calls herself our chat detective, but basically she answers. Um, answers all of our customer support requests. And at the time I was spending like 30, 35% of my time just doing customer support in chats. Like literally I would be like on, on a call like this. And then I would like, while someone else was talking, like go and answer a customer support chat. So it's like super unsustainable. 
Uh, but the moment we hired our first full-time person in customer success, or sorry, customer support, that's when it really felt like I was like, okay, okay we're yeah. going to like start plugging people into these roles. And those roles, as we continue to grow uh, by an order of magnitude, will become full-time. Um, that's been like, that was kind of the, this, this transition point uh, for the business. And so now we have uh, a five-person sales team. We have, uh, should be very soon, a three-person customer success team. Um, we have three three full-time engineers and we're adding more. Not to, anyone knows any engineers, by the way? Um, <laughs> send them your way. Yeah, send them my way. But so it's it's been a... It's been interesting to like you kind of grow out of these these like individual contributor roles into manager roles, um, and that's kind of where I am today. I'm like a manager of of individual contributors mm. and moving into a manager of manager roles. Yeah, but yeah. I'd love to get the same inside information for y'all. I mean, y'all have y'all have seen what I've seen, but then like another order of magnitude again, uh, and then like another jump after that. So I'm curious from your perspective, and especially like with the lens of like an accounting firm versus like us, like we raised venture money. We didn't have to do the whole thing profitably. Um, uh, I'm curious, like what, what was that like for, for you as y'all, y'all grew uh, the business? You know, I, I'd say high level for me. And then what Matt get like, I, first of all, we're starting 18 years ago, people. Yeah. 19 this year. Yeah, so you know, that, that's the downside of not having, venture behind you is you go a little slower. Well, it may, actually may not be a downside. Who knows? Maybe that's debatable whether that's a downside sometimes these days or not. That said, um, I, I'd say that that growth has been both exciting, but also uncomfortable. It just kind of has that tension of it, right? To where I, I, I there was a big smile on my face if someone was watching on YouTube when you were kind of describing earlier, Ben, of like, just the story of the beer, right? Of where you get to, you think about those, how business can be amongst friends. And it doesn't mean it has to only be as roommates like you and Kenny, you know, were, or like there, but there's, I don't know, there's, there's a, there's an early period, I think back to like Matthew and I were getting going on this. Like you just, it is kind of really fun, even if you are plugging all the holes and that part like is Sometimes I, I used to get worried about that, that you lose that, like as you get bigger. And like, sometimes it can feel a little bit like you lose a bit of that. That's maybe where I feel uncomfortable when you're, I feel less connected sometimes because it's just gotten bigger. Uh, but certainly the excitement of the other thing you mentioned that you, you're going into is being able to kind of think about managing and leading people and, and thinking through putting people with specific skill sets against initiatives or areas where you need them. And I think that's something really exciting about it. I like I like that as well too, thinking about how do you optimize an organization by getting the right people in the right spot. So I, I feel but that tension. What was it? I wasn't I wasn't here for the 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 two to ten phase. So what was that like? Uh um because I was I mean you went from two to ten really relatively quickly, I feel like really quick. Yeah. Then we kind of, then we kind of topped out it felt like I mean the two to ten, that is that feeling um, and I don't know how long it took you guys, Ben, to kind of raise capital if you did right away. I, I felt like it was maybe a similar feeling, even though it wasn't raising capital. There was some validation there. Like, all right, you go quickly and you get there and you go, oh my gosh, it's not just the two of us anymore. Like somebody else believes in us, whether that's customers or whether it's an investor. And that was fun. That was exciting because you get that momentum boost and you go from two to 10 and, and, and you're 
I remember I'd stepped out of the corporate world where I was only getting to do a narrow bit of things. And now I, I get to do everything. And it was super fun. I love doing everything. And then after a while, that got old. Like that, it, then then you hit we hit the 10, right? Matthew, that's kind of when you came around. Like we hit the 10 and we stuck there for a long time. And then that gets frustrating. But the two to 10 run up quickly was was pretty exciting. That was like an 18 monther, right? Is oh, that 18 months or two right, years? Yeah. Or faster? Oh, uh, maybe, maybe no. It's probably about that. Probably, maybe a couple of years. To, but it was pretty quick. You run up there pretty quick. So, did and you guys? The next, by the way, the yeah. next six years was just so you know our history. Ben, next yeah. six years was like between eight and twelve people, and then, and then I came on, and I and I like to say it's because of me. But I think mm-hmm. what we changed um, to get over the ten person plateau is Kenji made a commitment to me, which was different than he and his other partner had was. And which we call kind of like acuity 2.0 was he was going to have to work exclusively on the business, you know, as opposed to billing his time, which was like when we're 10 people, that's a quarter million dollar to half million dollar hit, depending on the year, right? Just on his time, right? So you have this big decision to make, like if you're going to work on the business or in the business. And that kind of took us through what I think was the next phase. Um, which got us to probably a couple million, three million in revenue, um, and um, you know that that was that was really helpful. Wow. And then I think the biggest thing after that that we worked on, or one of the things he worked on in that time, was this commitment we had to each other. We were like, okay, we can't be the people to sell stuff. Like, what if, what does it take to take us out of sales? And he took that on which is like a huge thing that's a competitive advantage for us now that none of the, we have a sales team and a marketing team that sells what we do without any of us being involved, which is very different than other accounting firms. And when I hear other accounting firms talk about it, I feel like that's been one of our biggest differentiators in an ability to scale and grow is just that we have a, a focused sales and marketing team that's not related to one of the accountants. Not that accountants aren't great salespeople, but like, because we can no. close deals, but man, we're not very focused on that. We like doing the accounting, right? Yeah. I think that's actually, it's interesting. You've you've seen this over the last like decade, I want to say, like venture growth in, in venture investment in, in bookkeeping firms, which is maybe like a subset of basically this, this initiative to build these modern accounting firms where the client's relationship is to the brand and not to any particular partner. Um, I think that's so interesting because one, like you don't, you don't like the business itself doesn't top out at like the number of hours that an individual partner can contribute to working on an individual client base, whether it's bookkeeping or whether it's tax. Um, and two, um, like I, I would imagine from like an end stage liquidity event perspective, it makes those businesses a lot more acquirable because you're not worried about the partner leaving and then all the value that you just bought going away. Yeah. Right. Which we've seen in in the first trend, we've done a, a couple of acquisitions and mergers and, and, you know, in the one where one of the, those was highly related to the person, like it was basically all the relationships related to that person. That was the, that was the most difficult acquisition kinds of acquisitions to do successfully. I feel like, yeah. And we learned a lot of hard lessons about that. In our- I was going to say, yeah. So I'm, I'm super curious, the, the M&A perspective uh, now at your scale, um, uh, is that something that you, you're like actively looking to do that as a growth strategy for the business? Or is that still like one-off um, 
very idiosyncratic, very, um, very like must be strategically accretive. Yeah, we've um, changed our we've we've really changed our stance on this, and this is this is actually the way we've approached M and A is not uncommon for the way that we at Acuity and probably specifically Matthew and I approach many things. Like we're just we get very curious about things, um, and that's one of the real joys we love about business ownership is like we get to just try things out, and so we were getting hit up quite a bit by other bigger firm, you know, regional, larger firms, private equity, you name it, looking to kind of do, hey, why don't, why don't we acquire you? And so we sat on that side of the table for a while and we took some of those meetings. I took a bunch of those meetings. We're just curious. Oh, what are we worth? I don't know. Is there some big, big liquidity event? So we took them, of course, um, on curiosity. And we'd take them and we'd kind of look back at each other and kind of go, I don't know, man, that doesn't sound that great. And so we, we kind of had this moment where we looked at each other. I don't know. If, I think you said it first, Matthew, you were like, I think we're sitting on the wrong side of the table. Like, I think like, I, I think being acquired, like, I don't think the multiples are that great. And like, I don't know, we're still having so much fun. And I guess it hadn't really dawned on me. And Matthew's a really good long-term strategic thinker. I He's like, I think we just need to move to the other side of the table, you know, and maybe take a look at it there just from some of the economics. And so we did that. Right. And then we certainly had very different experiences. Matthew alluded to one of them and we learned a lot through that. We're like, all right, let's switch, let's switch seats. Let's, let's be the acquirer. Let's see what that feels like. And we did that. And um, yeah, we got a couple of pretty different experiences on that. One that's kind of shaped our going forward place. And I mean, I'll maybe live over to you, Matthew, like right now we're in a spot. Wouldn't you say that we're, we're much more, um, we wanted to see if we could build that muscle, if we could learn about what it would take that, almost to put it in our pocket of like, all right, we know how to do an acquisition now. We know that for some reason, if we got jammed up organically growing, that we could go ahead and jump in and do an acquisition. Now we feel like we've got that skill set, but we're kind of now taking a look at a much more, if something were to fall in our lap or something pretty unique, then we'd kind of make a move on it versus I think we were trying to experiment and learn a bunch of things earlier. Was that, is that fair, Matthew? Or what would you add to that? Yeah. I mean, the, the, one of the, I mean, at the dollar and cents level, like the question should be, right, is, is is just if it's just about growth, is how can you, like, what's the cost of doing that organically versus doing an acquisition, right? And, and, and our sales team, candidly, has been able to do seven figures of growth a year for a long time. Um, they've been able to recurrently repeat that they can add seven figures of growth every year. Right. So we could also, we've never really, we haven't made that team bigger in five years. We've just been comfortable with that seven figure growth number. The reality is, is most firms are about a million bucks in revenue. Right. Yeah. And, um, and if you, if you, if you juxtapose what those looks like is taking a year to grow by a million bucks with a sales team spread out over a year where you can add people and integrate them and clients on a, measured basis, which is over a 12-month cycle versus, hey, guess that we got 10 new employees and a million bucks of revenue, which is, uh, you know, 70 customers, like all at one day, like it's a totally different experience. Um, one of the the challenges for people trying to sell their business, I would guess, is, you know, if they're trying to sell to somebody that doesn't have a firm, then their processes matter and stuff like that. And if they're selling to a firm like us, like all that matters is their people and their clients. And they're going to have to go through this new onboarding process for all their customers. Because if you have different processes, 
we've tried to do that. We did that poorly the first one. Like that's a just a jacked up world. Like that just kills your team and it just becomes really disruptive. So um, we we did exercise that muscle. We're not really great at the acquisition muscle, um, but because of because of the reality of how different things are, I think unless you know people. Unless the people were just phenomenal, like we had in when we merged with Catching Clouds, and unless the people were phenomenal and added like a new vertical that that kind of jived with what we did and like really paired well, um, it would be a really tough sell internally right now to add a acquisition because the integration is so rough and and um, and our sales team is so good, you know, and our marketing team is so great. Yeah. So that actually brings up and, and thank you so much. I mean, I think that's such an interesting perspective. That I think a lot of uh, a lot of firms would like to know, which is like, how do you make that decision? What is essentially build versus buy, but on the sales side, right? Um, right. I think so. You, you mentioned something in there, which is like our sales team reliably delivers seven figures of growth a year, but we haven't really grown it. Um, is that an internal like you're comfortable with the growth you have now, and you don't have the like ambition of wanting to build a nine figure business or a ten figure business in an account? And I don't know. If, yeah, but, that's a, that's. I think Matthew alluded to this, um, you know, with talking about the acquisitions. And one of the things we really saw in being taking this very compressed timeline of like onboarding clients, like right to where um, you just you, you shove a hundred in the door immediately through an acquisition or whatever the number is, right? Uh, I mean, he and I are like high five and we're super excited. Yeah, let's go! And we kind of looked at the faces of our team. And we're like, oh my gosh, they're struggling. In fact, this last year, we were up on stage at AcuityCon, which is our annual kind of all hands kind of conference. We we do a year in review, right? We kind of talk about how the year went. And I remember as we were doing that, we kind of said, hey, before we talk about all the things that we did this year, let's talk about one thing we didn't do. And that is we didn't acquire anybody. And like, everyone's like cheering, right? They're like, yay, didn't acquire anybody. And I think that was something that we recognized and took seriously when we looked at our team and thought, whoa, that really kind of unbridled aggressive growth. It put a lot of strain on the organization. Not, I mean, it put some on me and Matthew. We certainly had some. We're, we're we signed up for that. You kind of signed up for that as a founder, right? We kind of took, I think, I think I did. I think Matthew's the same way too. We took a hard look at the rest of the group and thought, it was rough on them. It was tough on a lot of other people. And we're like, what are we doing? Like, that's a non-measured, you know, kind of really aggressive growth path. And like Matthew's point, we've got a nice sales team that can actually drip those in over a period of time. You know, we occasionally will get these months where, and Tyler, who's our head of sales, um, we've had these months where the team, remember this, Matthew? The team's like, um, and Tyler gets on the tear. <laughs> And they're all like, we're going to start a GoFundMe to send him on vacation because like, he's just, you know, and he's you know, just they, killing it right now. Yeah. Kind of tongue in cheek on that a little bit, but some ways like you just need to slow down because he, he's very, he and the team were very effective. Um, so I think that's where for us, we saw that that really aggressive growth was a lot. And some of that too goes back to Matthew and I, like what our goals are, like, is that something we felt like? we really needed um that point so but yeah matthew jump uh, i see you. yeah i think the the really interesting thing that that kenji and i have always been aligned on was why we wanted to grow and i've seen people talk about this and i think people don't think about this 
Um, because a lot of people assume it's like financial in nature. So if you're like, if it is financial in nature for you, like go have at it. For us, it's um, growth has always led, like our our growth of our firm has always led to new challenges, um, which which has led to our professional development and the professional development of everybody internally. Um, it's given us ways to retain people because we created career paths for them. It kept he and I interested in this business. Um, uh, candidly, if this was the $1.1 million business that I bought nine years ago, like this would be pretty boring at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. That we hit the eight figure mark at a, in over a nine year period of time, like, like that we hit 10 million. That's a great milestone, but it was measured. It was like, we, it was at the right pace for us to continue to grow into that. Um, you know, if you, from a leadership perspective, I think the challenge I think a lot of our clients have, because we live in the VC world, um, is, you know, you see these founders come in and these people put this money and all of a sudden they're a $10 million business overnight and they didn't have time to grow into that. So now they're getting replaced in their own company with like the professional CEO, which is crap. You know, for it's just not what we want to do, right? We 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 have like a selfish interest in wanting to grow professionally. And um, I think there's a pace um, that if you can kind of hit close to it, it really makes this job much more fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It it makes me curious. I mean, I think about you and Kenny, right? Um, And the team and the rest of the team at Keeper, I – Y'all are a good bit younger than Matthew and I. So there's probably some different goals and some different, you know, when, when you know, you can kind of hunker down together in 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 the, the one room and kind of crank and crank and crank. I mean, there's an energy level that probably Matthew and I don't possess anymore or, or desire to go back and possess. But um, are, are you finding, you know, what's changed in the terms or has anything changed when you think about your... um your financial partners, your investors who put in, or, or is it still a pretty growth oriented? Like, Hey, let's kind of get going, get going. We need to kind of push through this. Is it, is it more of a, now the change in the way things have gone? Is it more kind of, Hey, hunker down, extend that runway? Any, or is it been a pretty consistent, right? How do you, what's kind of the growth path, scalable path for, for y'all there at Keeper? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I'd say it's still like, Whereas you look at 2021, sort of the like excesses of the market then, like it was like you got a knob between like like sustainability, profitability, and then um uh and then like growth. And so 2021, I think the knob was turned like turned up to 11, right? Like 150% <laughs> towards growth. Um, and you're like cranking it over to the side and maybe you're raising too much capital to do that, and you're spending really inefficiently to do that. Um and so right now, I mean, the industry has definitely turned the knob way back, but the venture model doesn't make sense if you don't grow. Um, the private equity model does, uh, but the venture model, the multiples you pay for, um, the expectations you set when you're building, just like, I mean, think all the way up the stack, like the LPs who are investing in the GPs who are deploying this capital into the startups at these valuations, like all of that is dependent really on on growth to return those numbers. Yeah. Um, so we're probably like 
our our knob is probably at like 90, 95% growth. Um, but our knob kind of was there for the entire time in the business. Um, I think that's really a reflection of the business that we're in, the market that we serve, and um, and like who I am as a founder, as a CEO. Like I literally make software for accountants. It would be insane if I was selling a dollar for 85 cents. <laughs> like um so there's that element there. So we've always been very thoughtful about making sure that our growth is efficient or growth is profitable. Um, and also, just backing up for a second, we have seen so many times in this industry, so many tech partners come out and they'll be really splashy. They'll spend millions of dollars on marketing um, and they'll promise the moon and they won't deliver the moon. And then they'll also like eventually just like either go away or get like acquired by Intuit and then like... Uh, then go away or then yeah, get like, yeah. in, um, uh, like, like, and into it. If you'd like to acquire keeper, it's still on the table. <laughs> I, the right I, I love into it. I love into it. They're our, our largest tech partner. Um, people ask me all the time if like, like if we're building this business and sell it to into it. And, uh, and I tell them like, look, if like what happens there, if you get acquired, it's like you go be like the senior product manager for Keeper within Intuit. It's like, look, if I wanted to be a PM at Intuit, there are easier ways to get that job. <laughs> so so uh, to the point about providing professional development as like being a reason to start a firm and grow a firm, like that's very much true, true um, uh, to, to a large extent at, at Keeper as well. Um, and that actually brings me to, Matthew, I think you brought up this, this really good point, which is um, that like the pace that you're on in growth it's so like, I mean, yes, thankfully, it's like fiscally, financially rewarding as well, but also it keeps you interested and it excites you in the challenges and the new challenges you get to face. I'm curious, like sitting here today, January 13th, 2022 or 2023, uh, what are the what are the challenges that excite you most over the course of the next year? Um, for me, it is we've 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 built the company to withstand downturns intentionally rather intentionally and that's not really um that's not really um kind of great necessarily in 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 upturns like is is so we built a very what i consider measured business and balanced business so i'm really interested to see how we can execute when everybody else is tightening up um and to see if that proves out in this current downturn, we've been through one together before. Kenji and I have one big downturn, and um, so it, it's um, and he's been through a couple with Acuity. So um, uh, I, I'm really interested. That's the most uh, interesting thing to me. Um, I'd, I'd I'd really like to do some stuff around um, sustainability in our employees and our training efforts to that I think will contribute to that to take us to the next level. Um, but that's kind of what's getting me excited this year. Yeah. Awesome. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you have done as a business that maybe sacrifice some of the the highs of the highs in upturns, but that have prepared you for uh, for the upcoming economic environment we're about to live through? Well, I think one of the big things you know we've done and, and is um, we've we've had pretty unique compensation models at Acuity. Um, and, and, but those, it's interesting. We have a lot of variable compensation at acuity, but those came out of the, the reason those, those weren't really built in to say, Hey, well, well, when business softens, like 
everyone's going to take a hit or when it's great. It wasn't, that wasn't the intent. The, the problem, the challenge we were trying to solve for there was we did learn very early on that for us to be competitive in the marketplace for good talent, we really couldn't compete on benefits or compensation. We had the, the E&Ys, the Deloitte's of the world. There was just a lot of other things out there that were just making it different. We did see that there was a challenge in the marketplace of where uh, the hours, the inflexibility in the profession was really high. We still see a lot of that today. Um, Matthew and I had been kind of burned by that. You know, him and more corporate and in big, you know, big four, big six. I had that in big six as well too. I had that in CFO jobs. I had, in, it just was very, it was a bit of, it could be a bit of a punishing profession. And so we wanted to give people some choice of like, all right, if you come and do good work at Acuity, like, you know, it, you figure out how much you want to work. This notion of a 40 or 60 hour work week, whatever it was, was kind of seemed to us to be a little arbitrary. Like, why does that exist? Isn't that some kind of industrial age mechanism to kind of protect workers? Like we're, we're knowledge workers now, right? We can, we can all, shouldn't we all determine how much we want to work, whether that's in our, you know, in our apartments or wherever with our roommates cranking away all the time, or whether it's like, Hey, I've got kids now or I think whatever it is a stage of life. And so by designing variable compensation to solve for flexibility and give people more control, uh, which they didn't have in the profession of their time, it also kind of by nature built in a bit of that shock absorber to where if there's downturns or people, you know, whether it's macro people or external, we see a slowdown, or whether it's internal, people say, hey, I just need to take time off this summer because the kids are out of school and we want to go take some vacations. Um, we were intentional about building in some interesting compensation models that were a bit of a shock absorber. That's one thing that's kind of unique. I don't know, Matt, yeah. what are some others? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, when I say that, that, I mean, what we sacrificed during that time is other people, when they have fixed costs and people that are working 90 hours a week, they have record profits, right? Well, we, as a company, decided that's not who we want to be. So, you know, so we sacrificed that on the, on the, on the, in the good years. And the bad years, like the, our employees get to benefit from that in the good years, right? And the bad years, like when th if things were to slow down, like everybody shares kind of proportionally, um, which which I think is really, really unique in one of our superpowers. But um, but that, that, I mean, that's what I meant by that. Yeah. So. And, and I'd say, that on, and on top of that, I mean, still kind of in that flexibility thing, Matthew and I talk a lot about... Um, because we've been through a few different cycles and big organizations and some of the creme de la creme accounting firms out there, we've lived those, we've been there, is that we thought about like what for us as owners, it means for success. And um, I've typically thought of, okay, when you you make a lot of, what, what's the, when you, what do you want, what do you want to do? You make a lot of money. What, do you, what does that give you? Well, for me, I'm like, that's, that's freedom, right? I think you, you know, Money can't buy happiness. I do believe it can buy a sense of freedom. It can buy, you know, I have enough money. I can kind of do what I want to do. And we've a little bit disrupted that, I think, Matthew and I have to where, um, I mean, we don't, he and I don't take home some huge, massive paychecks. You know, we do not. We live pretty, you know, uh, pretty humbly, I would say for the most part, probably less than people think. 
but we have an incredible sense of autonomy and flexibility and freedom. We do essentially do kind of what we want to do. Luckily, one of those things is we really enjoy working on acuity and working in the space. But you know, he and I are taking time off next week to go do some skiing with some friends. We kind of bounce around. Do we do a lot with our kids and families? We just have a lot of that, and so I think we've kind of realized that instead of kind of driving towards some liquidity event to give us some huge number so we can then go do whatever we want to do, we just kind of built it into the model today where like it's already there. Uh, it took some time that wasn't there initially, but we got to a point to where let's make sure that we've got a business that actually produces a sense of freedom and fun. And we want that to be with everyone. If we think if everyone gets to kind of say, hey, cool, this integrates well with how I work in my life. I'm getting professional development. I'm getting a lot of freedom to do things I want to do. It it just has a, um, we just get to hold on to a lot of people who want to stay and keep committing to acuity, including the two of us, right? To where we don't get fatigued and go, oh, another year with an acuity. I just, I don't know if I can handle it. And you go, oh, I'm rolling into 2023 saying, man, this is going to be a fun year. We're going to try to open up, a, you know, operations overseas. We're going to go speak at this conference. We're going to hear, you know, we're going to connect with other firm owners. We're going to go add some new tech stack partners. I mean, all those things for us just get to be like, we geek out. We're just a bunch of yourself. Anyway. Somebody gets good awesome. Italy this year with uh freaking Expensify. So not really. Wow. Well, we're waiting. Yeah, so we're, we're, don't worry. Keep her one day. I mean, like you said, they've been conservative. You didn't go make them huge splash with all the venture, you know, all that investment you raised. But they'll one day, they'll be the keeper conference and it'll probably be in some amazing location, Matthew. And maybe you'll, maybe if you're nice enough to Ben. Oh, I'm going to go see Ben in, in uh, September when I go to Austin. So there you go. Talk about there a, a September all, trip. All, all he needs is some of that, is some of that Chewy's queso. So, oh, yeah. Chewy's uh, creamy jalapeno, baby. Um, that's all that's all he needs but uh you know um but you know i i think that yeah that there's a lot of different ways to kind of get there and i think for us we always always loved kind of working with um and kind of partnering with other firms like you guys because again we serve predominantly the venture and the saas space so we love talking about i mean many i tell everyone when they think that acuity is unique i'm like not really it's all we do basically do is we rip off the things that guys like you are doing ben like we just follow the lead of like venture backed saas companies and kind of how that growth hacking happened and apply it in the accounting space and so that's all we've really done over the years we've always been grateful to be around in co-working spaces around you know other tech companies serving tech companies uh we're always excited when we get to see new solutions like you guys come to market because um, it not only benefits the profession and helps kind of scale and grow and a lot of the issues we have with not enough team members and people out there, but we love just to take a lot of cues from folks like you and like, oh, interesting. Look, listen to the way they're building customer success or the support function. Like we do a lot of stealing, yeah. if you will. <laughs> well, no, I think that's, I think that's such a, uh, like, just to add to that, um, I was talking to the uh, the uh, one of the co-founders of a, a venture-backed bookkeeping startup, and he was kind of explaining this thesis to me, which is, look, if you look at, so like ACV, average like uh, average annual contract value okay. for a like for a SaaS startup, super important metrics that determines like that input gives you the output of like what your sales motion looks like um, and what you need to do, like how much you can spend to acquire a customer, yeah. um, and uh, and so if you it's like look at bookkeeping, it has the same regular monthly charge that SaaS does. Um, I, I, I think it's important to do like a gross profit margin adjustment, but um, yeah. but so yeah. like like if you have a thousand dollar charge and you put five hundred dollars of labor into it, 
gross profit on that is $500, which is like the same as if you had a $500 charge and then 100%. you put you put $0 into it, and then you have $500. So, But below the line, that ends up being pretty much the same business. Um, and so you look at, you sort of like model bookkeeping businesses like that. You're like, wow, these are a lot more like SaaS businesses uh, than you might conventionally have thought. Yeah, we do uh, in our LTV to CAC calculation, you know, CAC to LTV kind of metrics, we, uh, we, we, we only do margin. We don't do revenue. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. You nailed it. I think that's something that we got lucky with because we worked with so many SaaS startups. We're like, actually, this bookkeeping model is much more like a SaaS business. And we ran it, we still run it in many ways differently. We, we emulate so many you know, metrics that are in the SaaS space. But you're, to a critical point you made, you just need to affect the, go change the margin. The margins are different in those businesses, where the categorization of the expenses are. And if you do that, you can really take advantage of some really good, helpful metrics that most accounting firms don't think of, but they're sitting over there in SaaS businesses all day long that are really, really helpful when you think about the direction of the business. So um, I don't know, we geek out on on these conversations all the time. This one's been an awesome one, but I, but I think we need to have Ben back on because he, he's such a good interviewer. He's asking questions of us. Usually we're like pepper, you know, it <laughs> works. our guests. Well, I, if, if you're allowed, I want one more question because yeah, I think yeah, come on, man. it's the question that it, that, that I feel like if I were a firm owner, this would be the question on my mind every time I see Kenji and Matthew, which is like, okay. And Matthew, you alluded to this earlier. You were like, firm grew really quickly from two employees to 10 employees, and then kind of sat at 10 employees for like 10, eight to 12 employees for like years. Um, and you said the the thing that changed was that Kenji committed to investing in spending his entire time building building the business and working on the business rather than in the business. And that's like, that line has been so commonly like brought out that like I think everyone in the accounting world has heard that line and they're like, great. And now I got to go do this tax return. <laughs> We're like, great. And now I got to go like make these adjusting journal entries. And you end up losing the the time that you're supposed to be spending working on the business. So I, I'm curious, Kenji, from like question to you, what was the hardest thing to let go of? And how did you end up letting go of it so you could free yourself to to actually focus on growing from the business that Acuity was today and to uh, or Acuity was back then to uh, to the 10 plus figure, 150 plus employee uh, company that it is now. Yeah. I will say very honest, the hardest thing to get the, to give up um, was the compensation because that step back at that size absolutely means you're taking comp away. Matthew alluded to comp away from the business, but that really is coming out of your pocket. You're at that size at that point to where because it's a services business, when you get going and started, you can put a lot of cash compensation in your pocket pretty quickly as a consultant with very little overhead. So when you stop billing, it comes out of your pocket. I, I had to have a conversation, you know, with my wife about it. I'm like, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We had little kids. We're like, all right, we're gonna. This is gonna be a risk. This is gonna be a little painful. I can still go back and look at those years on the tax return. Old tax returns, like, whoa, look at that dip, right? And so. We just had to be okay with that, knowing that was a risk that like that couldn't persist for very long. Matthew and I kind of looked at like, we can't let this happen for very long. We gotta, we have responsibilities, not because we have immaculate homes or fancy cars. We're like, we got we have mouths to feed, we got diapers and things like that. We got to get back on it. And and we knew what our earning potential had been previously in the market as CFOs of tech companies and things like that. And we didn't want to just go be 
stupid about about it. But I think that was like where I think people get stuck. I, I at least I think so because I don't know. Some people say, "Oh, it's control." Well, it, like, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's painful. It can be real painful. I mean, and if you just do the math on it, right? If you're just saying, "Okay," if you have a a business that's running at twenty percent EBITDA, right, which is cash flow to the owner, right? And you take the owner's billings out. So for every one dollar you take out of the owner's billings, you have to replace with five dollars to be a push on cash flow. If you're running at twenty percent EBITDA, like if you're running a highly efficient business. And most of us aren't. Most of us, that's a 10x, right? If we're lucky, right? So that 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 was, I, I just want to echo that. That was a painful, like we had to go from a million one in revenue to 2.3 million in revenue in a very quick period of time um, to be able to stem the tide on that. And it was still hard. I mean, my first K1 was, I think, I think I still have, it. I think it's like negative $8,000 for the year. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a bad year, Ben. It was, wow. it was, it yeah. was like, why the hell did I let Kenji talk me into this? Why <laughs> did I make my partnership? Why did I do that? I don't know if I'm going to be able, like, I'm going to have to talk to Laura, like, his wife, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the answer. If you want to be acuity, you have to deal with the just like terrible squeeze of going from good to bad before you get back to good again. But you know, it. But again, I'll I'll, I'll pair it too. What What do you do when you come in and go into a startup? Right, same yeah. thing. Who's making huge cash compensation? Well, Nobody is. You trade. Penny and I talk about this all the time. Hundred like, percent. Like we feel uniquely lucky that we're like. I mean, I'm 28 now, but we were like like 25 26 when we're starting to like starting to get things off the ground uniquely lucky that that's a time in your life when you can crunch down and uh, i mean still to this day we don't take anywhere close to what you would call like a market salary for a ceo of a company of our size um but um but like that happens when you're in your mid-20s and you can just do that um uh, and i'm like i, I look at these companies like startups that were founded by people in their 30s and their 40s with like kids and mortgage payments and private schools and all that stuff and i'm like it, like i look at it in amazement and that's yeah. what y'all had to do to to grow acuity uh, and bad. so like yeah but that's really incredible is, is that you had to sacrifice the short term for the long term i think that there's certainly some people who say like, i love serving clients i don't want to let someone else do it the quality is not good up to me and that's that's fair for many but i do think also that that point we all just mentioned is you do have to sacrifice in the short term for the long term. You're you're playing for that long term outcome, and in, in in the venture world, it is a maybe a huge liquidity event. There could be some of that in the accounting space down the road, but I think also, you know, we were doing it for like, all right, we got to get to just to a spot to a firm that we're going to enjoy working in long term, whatever that means to us. And yeah. so, but we knew that long that wasn't going to happen if he and I were both billing clients all the live long day, doing all the sales calls all the long. We were not gonna. We weren't. We're gonna make it. Like we're gonna be. He's gonna be back in public. I'm gonna be back in. You know, a private tech company, and that's fine. Those are good things. We had good choices there, but like that. That's where we were going to. So, but that gave me a runway. I mean, it took six years after that to where I could do the same thing. Yeah. That's the next thing, right? Yeah. Like, how do, you, how do you do it for the next person? As soon as I did it, we were like, "How do we get Matthew the same spot where he?" And it took. It took a little bit longer. A little longer, but like, longer. but we got there. So. Yeah, it's it's fun. I, we we love talking about scaling and growth. And Matt, we've had some good um, panel discussions at some point. We want to even do some more about like everyone thinks it's so glamorous, and it can be. But you really, I love the fact that you went there on this question, Ben, because 
um, you do have to go through a lot to get there and, and, and sometimes have some patience. So it's, yeah, my favorite, my favorite question I ever got about this on a panel was like, what, um, was, um, is it, they're like, I had made the comment, like it was tough for me being in Atlanta and clients coming up to me and say, oh, I use Acuity and I don't know who they are. And the, and the moderator says, at least, you know, all your employees. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand our scale. <laughs> I don't Like that's another level. Like that hurts me to my core that I haven't met all of our employees and don't know their kids' names and stuff like that. But it's 150 people. There's like math behind. Yeah, you, that's done. That's right but, at Dunbar's number where it's like, if Dunbar's you know no one else, that's. 150 is the is the limit. Yeah, if I had no, if I didn't have an 80 person family, I'd be okay, right? <laughs> like in my my Dunbar my, was not wrong on that, right? There's just yeah. there's just some there's just some things on that that makes. So sense. really, what that means, Dunbar's number is like that's the uh, the root of like the root of that is like that's how big human tribes got in like early humanity. So so I um I, I'm sure y'all have to go, but like I will leave you with this. Uh, y'all acuity have not just built a business you have built a tribe <laughs> <laughs> we may be we may be done we may this is maybe as far as we get based on that but you never know but we'll see what dunbar's is okay before the final thing we always have to do we have to you know, go on to untapped and do some rankings of our beers um i've so got we have a wine you just have to rate it between zero and five so yes yeah, zero, yeah, five. zero okay. and five scale uh can you see it over here guys the Steingold? It's taking forever. Your your internet is terrible today, dude. Is it terrible today? Sorry yeah. about that. You guys. Acuity, a good business, but not good enough to improve my, Kenji's Wi-Fi. <laughs> my Wi-Fi is not using means I've got my kids at home and they're all Kenji's awesome. Wi-Fi is brought to you by a limited thing with a college student at home. Exactly. <laughs> all the kids on Netflix here are on Xbox or something here at the house. So nothing's showing up, Matt. No, no, no. Okay, no, we'll just go. Yeah, let's just do it, dude. Okay, we'll just do it. So the Steingold. Um, we'll do ours first here, Matthew. You and I are both going to rate Stein Gold the, from Frosttown Brewing, the cream ale, on a scale of zero to five, Matthew. What would you give the Stein Gold? Well, I really enjoyed this beer for the last month, so it's a 4.5 for me, man. That's exactly what I was going to give it to, 4.5. I'm putting both of them in. For it was a really good beer. I really awesome. appreciate it. Like Your dad has great taste. This is like hit part of his like recipe in this and like like getting to work with people that's awesome so thank very, you very very good thank you for sending that well back. i will make I sure that you are uh stocked with an with an adequate supply <laughs> <laughs> that's been awesome all right give us on your so you again you were drinking okay so the prophecy 2021 pinot grigio, grigio it is a on the scale of if they have it at the uh the convenience store closest to your house um <laughs> it uh so i'm gonna rank it on that scale so that's a zero to one um, I will say it's a one. <laughs> <laughs> it's available. It's available. It's a, it is it's a, available. It's not worth a drive past your normal grocery store. That's, that's the way to put it. There you go. That's the bin. That's the bin. It, it should out. not. Yeah. Specialty stores. This is. Uh, this is this is the highest praise you can you can give from a twenty eight year old on a bottle. Of wine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, this has been great. Ben, thank you so much for the great beer. Thanks for spending some time and coming on. This was uh, a delight talking to you. Um, listeners, remember, subscribe. You don't want to miss all the goodness and you make sure we'll have a bunch of links on social over to what we're drinking, over to connect with Ben and also uh, to Keeper, Keeper. Yeah. to learn more about them and also just to uh, Frost Town Brewing. You'll, all, all the links will be there. Check them out. 
But uh, cheers, everyone. Thanks for coming on. And Ben, thank you, especially for coming on. Cheers My pleasure. Thank you all for having me on. This was a wonderful conversation. I learned a ton. Um, I hope some of your listeners also will learn a ton about what it takes to be to build the next acuity. And um, so I look forward to talking again soon. <laughs> Thanks, Ben.